The Old Testament reading tells us to be good citizens even in difficult situations. The reading from Jeremiah beginning chapter 29. Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. It said, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because of it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Here ends the Old Testament. The epistle reading is from 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of wrongdoing, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as a supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, You should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love thy neighborhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. Here ends the epistle. We stand in honor of the Holy Gospel. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, chapter 4, beginning the 43rd verse. Glory to you, O Lord. After the two days, he left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, for they also had been there. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, 
come down before my child dies. Jesus replied, you may go. Your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, The fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and all his household believed. This was the second miraculous sign that Jesus performed, having come from Judea to Galilee. He rents the Holy Gospel. Well, this should be particularly interesting. If I go down the rows, too old. <gasps> One, two, three. Hey, we might need some help. Would anybody, anybody like to help with explosives? Not real explosives, but they go bang like explosives. Anybody? Art? <laughs> Anybody who wants to? Ken, you used to work with explosives? Yes. Sure, come on up. What is the point of the 4th of July weekend? What do you think? People go out and they have fun and they blow stuff up and watch other people blow stuff up, right? What are we going to do with these? Now, you guys are careful, right? Ken's really careful. You used to take, what, bombs off of planes and put them back on and, yes. yeah, stuff like that. So, nobody else wants, this is going to be fun. These are nails, not pins, but nails. Have a nail. Guess what you're going to do? We're going to have our own fireworks display. Ready? Ken, you might have to kneel down. I better get a nail, too. Ready? I'm going to count one, two, three, and then you start popping them. Okay, this is our biggest fireworks celebration. Ready? One, two, three. Fun. Whoa! <laughs> and one doesn't die. Fireworks. Isn't that great? Oh, one left. Get it. <laughs> now, is that really the point of the 4th of July? Not really. We set the air free of the balloons. In the 4th of July, we remember how God helped our forefathers to become free. But it's never free. Ken here was in the Air Force. What do you think he was doing in the Air Force? Flying around? Nope. No, he never flew around. He dealt with munitions. And he has to sit down. We give thanks for all the Christian soldiers. 
who were willing to serve even to the point of possibly giving their lives, and many did give their lives, so that we can be free. They were encouraged not merely by their patriotism, but Christian soldiers did it also for an even higher reason. There's many stories told of what Christian soldiers did during wars in acts of kindness even toward those who were enemies. So that's our fireworks celebration. I brought more. Any of you want to celebrate? No, I guess not. Okay, you can go back. Thank you, Ken. Your wife should have helped. Laura, you should have helped. Sanctify them by your truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. Our text is the epistle from 1 Peter chapter 2, which has to do with our responsibilities. As members of two kingdoms at the same time, we talk about in this country of the separation of church and state. That's really an improper and incorrect way of speaking. In 1517 and further on, Luther was asked about this issue of what about the government, what about the church, who is in charge? Well, up until that time, there has always been a fight, a squabble, sometimes bloody, as for who's in charge of what. On the one hand, on one occasion, Henry IV, emperor of the Holy Roman Empire in 1050, refused a papal decree. He said he didn't have to follow what the Pope said. He said he was in charge. The government was in charge. And the Pope put his entire nation under the ban. That is, no communion, no baptisms, no funerals, no weddings, no nothing. The Pope ordered him to his castle in the mountains of Canossa, and Henry IV spent two days barefooted and then on his knees at the door of the castle begging forgiveness. Once he had then submitted himself to the Pope at Rome, the ban was lifted and all was well. The Pope was in charge. Years later, there was an English king also named Henry, When the Pope said, no, Henry, you can't get a divorce. No, Henry, you can't marry this woman and then this woman and then this woman, and I forget how many women, one in succession after the other. When the Pope told him no, Henry showed his authority. He nationalized the Church of England and put the Church under his authority. And it's been that way ever since. And throughout all of Northern Europe, that happened. If you've heard of something called the State Church, that happens from Holland into Germany, to Denmark, Norway, Sweden, Finland. The state runs the church, and it is that way to this very day. The state's in charge. Luther understood this great squabble that was happening even in his day, but he went to Scripture for the answer to it. 
And it's the only, only answer you can end up with that does not finally end up in bloodshed between these two great powers. Luther noted that in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you have the question about government authority. Jesus' simple answer was render or give to Caesar, to government, the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. In other words, he was pointing us to this notion of us being two kingdoms. We are members of both kingdoms, of the world, to be a good citizen in this land, and in Christ's kingdom, the church, to be a good citizen there. One is not greater than the other. We just have responsibilities in both. Peter is trying to tell the people in his day their responsibilities toward the Roman government. Now, we had a revolution in the 1700s over taxes, even over little tiny taxes like the tea tax, the Stamp Act. We went to war and shed blood over it. I'm not sure Peter would have loved that too much. Roman rule was far worse than anything our forefathers ever knew. Roman rule was an absolute dictatorship. We had no say in anything. And you were considered guilty unless you could prove yourself innocent. We are members of two kingdoms. The danger is <clears throat> at this point in time there are fewer and fewer Christians in this earthly realm. That the earthly realm itself is becoming the all-powerful. It decides all matters. Everything it says is taken as absolute. And whatever the church might say is pushed aside. Christians that are in government are not paid any attention to. Do you remember far back in math class there was something called a Venn diagram? Oh, Mr. Fonku just perked up. A Venn diagram, you have two areas. Touching doesn't make any difference. It's where you have the overlap. The overlap between the kingdom of this realm and Christ's kingdom is where Christians are. Where the overlap is large, there will be blessings. As the psalmist says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Where the overlap becomes smaller and smaller and almost non-existent, there will always be great troubles. Immorality. All kinds of greed. Corruption. That man becomes the maker and determiner of every so-called truth. Peter is saying, don't you dare as Christians say to yourself, I have nothing to do with that crooked Roman government. I'm simply going to withdraw. Peter says you cannot do that. You have responsibilities also in this earthly realm. Now to this day, there are certain Christian groups who have tried to withdraw from any responsibility regarding any government. You can go down to Ship Shawana and watch them in their horse and buggies. Back home in Iowa, they fought the slow-moving vehicle insignias that the state of Iowa required that they put on their buggies. 
Those people do not have anything to do with government at all. If they could, they would pay no taxes whatsoever. Oh, now some of you are thinking that might be a good idea. Peter's saying, be a good citizen, both in Christ's kingdom and in the earthly kingdom, even though, he says, you are aliens and strangers in the world. Christians are never going to be fully accepted. There's always something inherently suspicious about Christians that the world cannot stand. But he says, continue to live such good lives among the pagans that even if they accuse you of doing something wrong, they will see, look at, recognize your good deeds and ultimately glorify God. And if they don't do it right away, it will certainly happen on the day of visitation when Christ returns again as King of kings and Lord of lords. Specifically now, he says, and you may remember this from Cana Sunday, the word is submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men. It's again that term for getting in proper rank and file and holding your shields and marching in order together. It's not a slavish submission. It is cooperation together. If that sounds like the exact opposite of even what happens in Washington, that's true. Even the world cannot work together. And if you don't work together in a nation like ours, you have nothing happening. It's a standstill, and it's a disaster. Christians need to encourage the government to submit to one another. This notion of working the shields together for mutual protection and good. Notice this is merely among authority instituted by men. Whether it's a king or a governor, it makes no difference. We also note here what government is supposed to do. If you think the government is there to take care of you, if you think it's there to take care of all of your needs from womb to tomb, as someone has said, you have completely missed the point. The government has never been instituted for that purpose. Its purpose is to punish those who do wrong. It holds the sword to keep order for those that refuse to be in order. But also notice to give commendation to those who continue to do what is right, that is civil righteousness. That's why you remember this 4th of July weekend, those who did the right thing and stood up and volunteered to serve for the defense of this country. That was the right thing to do. And they are commended on the 4th of July as we remember the lives that they gave. This morning, for all of you who have served in the military, whether it is in time of war or not, would you stand, please? Even if nobody ever shot at you, it makes no difference. You've served. In your honor, and finally to the honor of God, we will now recognize you.
It is God's will that by doing you doing what is good, you should put to silence the stupid or ignorant talk of foolish men. To be a good citizen in Christ's kingdom, doing what is right and good and beneficial and unselfish, is truly what silences all the lies and things that they may say against Christians, against Christianity. It's also part of your witness. In the midst of communism, back in the 1940s, 50s, and 60s, behind the Iron Curtain. Many Christians got the reputation of being not only good workers, and they like to say good communist workers, but the reason they were good communist workers was the fact that those workers in the factories and fields oftentimes were the Christians who didn't need someone to watch over them, to threaten them, to force them to do their job. The Christian workers behind the Iron Curtain got the reputation for being good, honest, fair workers. The government called them communists. They were, in a sense, because they lived in those lands. But more importantly, they were Christians, and they gave a witness to their faith by how they did their job honestly and fairly. Peter says that if you do have the blessing of becoming a free man, unencumbered by laws or other problems, not to use this freedom as a cover-up for evil. We have the greatest freedom of all. We have the freedom from sin. We have forgiveness. We have freedom from death itself because we have resurrection as God's promise. We have this freedom in Christ. But he says, don't ever try to use that as an excuse or a cover-up for doing what's evil. We are not forgiven so that we can do the wrong things and then think we're all right. Always use your freedom as a servant. Live as literally slaves of God. Therefore, he says, in your life in both kingdoms, continue to show proper respect to everyone. Even if you violently disagree with them, even if you think they're the biggest crooks in the world, this country cannot continue without this respect, this civility, this being willing to listen and to talk as people who still ultimately love and care for each other. Show proper respect to everyone. Therefore, love the brotherhood of believers, that's the church, but also fear God and continue to show honor to the king, to earthly government. This is what it means to be a free Christian and a free American. Amen. And the peace of God that passes understanding will keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.